Guys, how are we doing? Awesome. 12 people. I'll steal Dale's joke because Dale's funnier than I am. How are we doing? You doing good? Come on. Baylor won today. Yes. We were number one for like 12 hours. Yes. Guys, uh, as Dale mentioned, I am a proud Baylor Bear. And you, I, I, you guys hate Sikkims, and I hated them in college. But when you get older, you're like, no, Sikkims, you like try and make them cool again. I'm going to make you do it. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I have somebody filming, and I'm going to show my three-year-old when I go home tomorrow because we've been practicing it. So if you ruin this, my three-year-old won't go to Baylor. And if she goes to a and I'll disown her. So, no, I won't disown her. I will disown my son, but I won't disown her. She's too cute. You'll see a picture in a minute. Are you ready? I, I, I've never done this, and I'm a little, like, I, I think I'm more nervous about this than, like, this hard topic I'm about to preach on. We're going to do it. So you, feel, you okay? Can, can you not leave me astray? Like all you fraternity people that are like, oh, I hate ZZZ, don't you, you stupid. That's great. It was, it's, uh, ZZZ people, it's not a real organization. It's fake. Congratulations. So, but uh, you ready? Here we go. You get, don't leave me hanging. You ready? Hey, yeah. Sick them. Yes. Good night. Thank you. Man, that was so good. That was so, guys, it is so fun to be here. Uh, as Dale said, I was in a room. I was I was by no means someone that helped launch the, uh, the concept of vertical, but my freshman roommate, his name was Davis Huterberg, and he was one of the guys that helped launch it with Carter Hopkins and Bo Weathersby, uh, and, and Scott Heron was involved, and Abby Walker was involved, and Liza Buck was involved. None of these names matter, but what matters is that there was a student uh, vision uh, that, that they wanted to capture the hearts of Baylor University for the name of Jesus. Uh, and, to, and to leverage the fact that we have four years, for some of us five years, for some of us six years, hopefully no more than six, because this is an expensive university, but uh, that, that, that we wanted to leverage that time for the name of Jesus. And, and Davis, I remember uh, we would lie in bed uh, our freshman year, and we'd have pillow talk at four in the morning when you go to bed freshman year in Penland, in the island. It was disgusting. And uh, he just talked about how he was dry, how he was dry, and for some reason, we, we, he continued to talk about it with more and more people, and this, and this vision caught, and it was so fun. We, were, we used to worship, uh, we would set up speakers and, and a generator that was on the first floor of the garage mahal. Is that still here, kind of? Yeah, it's a lot prettier now. And then we'd send extension cords up two stories so that you wouldn't hear the generator, and then we'd worship on the third story of the garage mahal as it started uh, and slowly but surely, this thing called vertical was born. And by, and, if, and by no means was I a part of any, the concept of it, but I was someone that reaped the benefits of it. Uh, so one, another funny story, I was actually the first ever sound guy of vertical. When vertical was at the Hippodrome with Jeff Johnson band, I ran sound, and I am not a sound guy. I'm surprised Jeff Johnson band came back because it was miserable. So you guys, let's give a round of applause for our sound people because they're better than I am. So guys, I'm excited tonight because we're talking about... Uh, a, a passage that punched me in the gut, and I remember it, my junior year of college. Um, so I'm going to talk to 19-year-old Garrett tonight. And I'm going to talk pretty heavy, because 19-year-old Garrett from Baylor University needed to hear this. And I wish I heard it when I was 18 years old. Uh, so, so we're, we're going to lay some thick groundwork with the hopes to let Jesus restore us, the only thing that can. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray one more time for myself because I need it. We're going to dive right into Romans 1. Uh, I know I had an intro. I, I want to make sure that we get through this so we can ignore that. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And man, I, I am so, God, I'm just thankful for you. God, I know my, my tendencies of, 
of just pride and thinking I have it all figured out. And, and God, I, I love the spotlight. And it's so ironic that, that I'm the one standing here tonight. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that my words would fall on deaf ears. And God, that you would use my words that will, will be grounded in the authority of the word of God to open the eyes of our hearts so we can see our sin, so we can repent, turn, and believe. God, I pray uh, uh, just against the distractions, the schemes of, of Satan and his enemies, God, that, that this would be a fortress stronghold for the gospel in these next 30 minutes. We love you. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, turn to Romans 1 if you have your Bibles or if you're uh, in college, which you are, you'll just use your phones and you'll just scroll to it. So scroll or click Romans, Romans 1, Romans 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. So we're going to be, we're talking about distraction today, and it's a little interesting topic, but uh, the reason why I talk about this is because I think Baylor University, uh, the the Christian university, and I put it in parentheses, not any fault of Baylor, I I mean, my professors were some we're some of the most godly people, but for some reason, the students miss the mark. We have the ability and the opportunity to go to chapel as freshmen, but we just continue to ignore it and dodge because of this concept of distraction. And I want to talk about this concept that, that distraction is no small vice. And Paul hammers home this concept of distraction. And, uh, and, and I just want to lay the groundwork for it. And, just, and before we actually dive into scripture, uh, Webster's definition of a distraction is this, that distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. Uh, or it's a diversion or, or recreation of something. And last but not least, it's, it's extreme agitation of the mind and emotion. So guys, here's the reality. I think it's easy for us to go, oh, I see how he's going to connect here, that that uh, distraction be a thing that prevents us from giving full attention to Jesus. Yeah, that's great on the surface, but here's the reality. I think uh, distraction is no small thing, and I think it is rampant in this place. And I don't mean distraction from, like, getting good grades. I mean distraction from the only thing that matters, heaven or hell. Because that's the battle we live in now. And, and for some reason... We, can't, we, we actually can't dialogue about this concept, so uh, about this, uh, this idea that there are, there's really two camps of people in this world. There is in Christ or walking dead. And a big part of the, 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 the divide is this concept that starts with, it starts with people that are just distracted. And, and my greatest fear for this university, for my alma mater, and honestly for the 1,800 college students that I, that I get to see at Canacuck every summer, is that our campuses are full of people walking around that have, never com- that have actually been completely distracted from God and the reality that they might actually not be reconciled to God in the first place. And that is a very scary place to be. And my, my biggest fear for my children, for my daughter Hadley Jo, and for my son Riker, is, is that they would know where they stand with God. And scripture makes it very clear how you can know where you stand with God. And we're going to look at that tonight. And Paul labors in this concept in Romans 1. So we're going to start uh, in Romans 1.16. And tonight we're going we're gonna to see that distraction has always been Satan's playground that leads to death. And when we look at this passage, we're going to see this progression that starts with distraction from, from the knowledge of God. 
And it's going to talk about this idea of this knowledge of God, that it's this, this small little tweaking of not sin, not belief, but just a, a small diversion or a recreation, something that, that you know, we're, we're like the four-year-old that moves away for one minute and all of a sudden we're distracted. And then that leads into this concept of, that we, of deception, that we're actually being deceived from the actual reality that, that God holds no practicality in our lives. Yeah, he's real. Yeah, Jesus, he died. But it doesn't really apply to me either anymore because I already made a decision. Or it's just, it's all kind of like the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. It's, it's, it's cool in concept, uh, but it, it's, not a, it's not real. But then all of a sudden, uh, we're distracted, which leads to this being deceived of our beliefs. And then at the end, the very bottom of our sin has nothing to do with the actual action, but our doctrine. So distraction leads to being deceived and deception. And last, we're going to see that once we've been completely deceived, as it talks about in Romans 1, we have lost our doctrine. And when you lose your doctrine, you lose your life. And by doctrine, I don't just mean something that theologians or your religion professors are about. The definition of doctrine is just theology. If you want to know what theology means, it just means the study of God. If you're not about studying God, you're not about Christianity. If you have no desire to know your God, you don't know him. So, your belief matters, and we're going we're gonna to get there. So that's my, that's my hope tonight, that we see that this concept of not fixing our eyes on Jesus is eternally dangerous. Eternally dangerous. So here we go. We'll start, uh, we'll start in verse 16. Excuse me, sorry, we'll actually start in verse 18. It says, uh, it says this, uh, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So I know, I know normally we don't start with this concept of the wrath of God, but I'm fine with it because I think, one, if you look back a couple of verses, you see that famous coffee mug verse that says, for I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for Jew and Gentile, for all people. But then all of a sudden, he starts, then moves, immediately shifts into this concept of, of, of God and his, his judgment, because that's, for Paul, that's part of the gospel. You can't have good news without bad news. So, so Paul labors, and we see this concept. And for us to understand what we're actually being distracted by, we need to understand what the truth is. Because there's truth, and then there's a lie. So we see in this verse what the truth is. We see just, if we just simply observe 18 through 20, we see first and foremost this concept of the truth that it's, that it's been revealed to us, that it's been shown to us by God. For what can be known about God is what? Plain to them. Every person. What can be known about God is plain to everybody. That it's not this secret thing where you have to get on the inside crowd to know. No, God has made the knowledge, the understanding of who he is plain to everybody. That's not something that we think about. We're like, oh, well, no, I need, to, I need to share all the points of Jesus' perfect life and he was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, all these big chunks of theology before this non-believer can come to know Jesus. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that to know God, it's been made plain to everybody. And it doesn't just stop there. It said that God has actually shown it to everybody and what he has shown is his invisible attributes. It's not just these things that are tangible, but the invisible attributes of God, namely his divine nature and his eternal power has been revealed to all of us. Every single one of us. And it, and it says, it ends with this concept of then we're with, 
we're without excuse. So if you're anything like me, you're like, okay, I, I believe the Bible. It says it's true, but what is this knowledge? I, I, don't, I don't see that. And I think Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 explains it really well. It says this, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, the knowledge of God, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. What is that will? What is the mystery of his will? Which, is, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to unite all things in him. So what is the knowledge of God? It is directly connected that in Christ we have redemption through our trespasses and sins. That the knowledge of God, the gospel, the, the hinge of if you are or aren't a believer in Christ Jesus has been made known to everybody. So here's the reality. The truth is this. Every single human being has been created and made with the capacity, the ability, and our very fiber to be satisfied by God. It is in your very nature to desire to worship God. Now, I know some of you are like, no, 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 we're utterly sinful. Absolutely, we are sinful. But before we were sinful, we were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, above all other creation, it says that, that let us make man, all people, in our image and likeness. That in our very fiber, our DNA, deep Within us. That's why when, when uh, the, the worship band gets up and starts singing about the name of Jesus, we feel it. You feel it because that's in your very fiber. So the problem is what's the problem? It says that we suppress the truth. To suppress the truth means that you actually have it. Suppressing the truth is implying that you actually, you actually have to have it to suppress it. Does that make sense? So in every single human being, because of the image of God, every single person in the entire world is not only without excuse, but this is the good news. If they're without excuse, that means that they have the ability to go from death to life. Now that is the truth and the gospel of Jesus. And here's what's scary about the culture of Baylor University. I know it because I lived it and I sat in those chairs. When I say that, some of us have already checked out. And that holds no weight on our lives. And you're gonna see that all of a sudden this concept of these people are actually being distracted. So, so we hear this truth and we see these suppressors, the people that are suppressing the truth. So we see this disconnect and something happens within these people between uh, uh, verses 21 and 22 and what happens is it's not a lack of a knowledge of God. We all have an understanding of God. We, we desire to worship. We're all worshipers. It's just a matter of what we actually worship. And the problem is we're just far too easily distracted. There's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, and I think the terms go hand in hand. He starts talking about how we have, we have an offer to go on an adventure with God, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, on a cruise with Jesus Christ in this beautiful adventure, but we, we think that we'd actually be satisfied with mud pies. That we could go off with Jesus on this beautiful adventure, but we're far too easily, he uses the word pleased, and we decide to choose a lesser life. We are far too easily distracted. And I think at Baylor University, this is rampant, and I can say it because I know it. I mean, it was rampant in my life through college. So verse 21, we see this concept of, 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 the, of the tipping point. We hear the truth of God, which we all go, yeah, amen, 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 I believe it. But all of a sudden, we're going to start seeing where you land on this puzzle piece. And in verse 21, this concept is this catalyst, uh, which is distraction. Verse 21, it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish 
hearts were darkened. Look at verse 21 again. For although they knew God, for although they knew God. So what this verse is saying, that you can know God but not be in the kingdom of God. That you can, you can know God and not be redeemed. You can know God and continually be walking in your sin. You can know God but not be redeemed. You can know God but not be in Christ. You can know God but not enjoy him forever. And, and I am, I'm okay with you starting to go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. How does, where does that land? And what, that, what that's called is working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because, so what's the hinge here? I know God, Garrett. I, I know God. Don't tell me that, that I know God. Okay, here's the hinge. Look at what it says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So what happened? All of a sudden there's this flip. They knew God, but they got distracted by something. Something happened in their life. They got distracted. I don't know what it is. Girlfriend, boyfriend, schoolwork, uh, overcommitment to ministries. It can be anything, but something happened where they, they know God, but they do not esteem him as most glorious in their life. They don't actually practice everything that we just sang. That although they knew him, they didn't glorify him as God. They give thanks to him. And all of a sudden, look what, look what starts happening in the life of someone that's distracted. First, their thinking became futile. That Greek word for thinking simply, it's not just like a logical capacity. That Greek word for think is not uh, just, it's not think in our English definition. It's more like our imagination or our purpose. The way, I, the way I've seen it explained before is that thinking is referring to the why behind your action. The motivation behind your action is what that's talking about. So the why behind what you do became the word futile. Uh, In the Greek, that simply word is just vain. So the why behind the distracted person, the why behind everything they do is now not connected to God, but connected to something other than God. So Webster's definition of distraction is a good biblical definition of distraction is what we get. It's It's looking at something else more than what you should look at. Because their thinking became futile. So here's how you go, man, am I being distracted? Here's how you can tell. You have no reason why you're here tonight. You just blindly walked in. If if the answer to the question of am I a Christian is yes, and and you're just going through life with not understanding the why, then then you're distracted. Jesus cares more about the heart than the action. I'll I'll give you a more practical example. So... um, uh, one day f- over five and a half years ago, I got on one knee and asked a really pretty girl to marry me. She said, yes, praise God. That was the action. If I got on one knee and I was like, hey, Emmy Joe, will you marry me? And that was it? I, she'd probably be like, well, come on, give me, how about some more? Like, that's it? Like, she wants to know the why. She want, I, 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 I want to marry you because there's no woman I'd rather spend my life with. I know the why. All of a sudden, that's not empty. That's not vain. When we get distracted, what this says is that all of a sudden, the why behind what we do becomes morally corrupt. It becomes vain. And that's, that's my fear is that, that because of the Bible Belt culture, the, the culture when you get a lot of People that just say they're Christians get in the same room and same place and same churches and same classrooms. All of a sudden, just like the walking dead walk to sin, we walk to the things of God and, not, and miss God. <laughs> and miss God. 
So where do you land? And it, does, it doesn't even stop there. Uh, it, the, this concept, when we get distracted, the wise in our life become vain. And then all of a sudden it moves on and says that their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is easy. The, the, the Greek word for heart is simply just the origin of all physical and spiritual life. Meaning the captain of our ship, our hearts, uh, which, which moves everything, is darkened, meaning covered in darkness. That's not just like it's dim, it's dark. Dark is a synonym for evil. That now all of a sudden, not only the whys behind what we do become vain or morally corrupt, but when we get distracted, the center of our life becomes something other than God. And that's just being distracted. And all of a sudden, you see the, the catalyst in verse 21, and he shifts over to this concept of deception. But this isn't, a, this isn't new for, for Satan, this concept of distraction. That The distraction is one of Satan's most powerful assets in the world. It's his evil sleight of hand that he uses uh, to, to distract us from the one that gave us everything and draw us into the filth that costs us everything. So, so, so he's snapping, you know, it's like the older brother that snaps here and slaps you in the face on the other side. That, that's what Satan does with distraction. He lures us in with this enticing concept and he doesn't even use open rebellion. If you look at how Satan did it in Genesis 3, he shows his cards. Well, how, how did, how did uh, the fall of man start? Satan didn't just show up as a servant and be like, uh, as a serpent and be like, hey God, he's the worst. No, all it was is just a probing question. Did he really say did he really say that? I'm not saying he's not God. He's still God. But did he really say that? And then all of a sudden, we see the universe just get completely corrupt because of one distracting question. Sleight of hand. The spiritual sleight of hand. That Satan showed his cards early. Not outright rebellion. He wasn't worried about that because he knew that he'd let us get to outright rebellion, rebellion on our own. That he just had to plant a mustard seed of filth for us to run in a lifestyle of deception and destruction. This, this is us. Yes, we are created in the image of God, but if we are not careful, distraction then slowly dips into this concept of, of all of a sudden deception. So you see all of a sudden uh, the distracted person, uh, their foolish hearts are darkened. That their thinking has become futile. That they know God, but they don't glorify him as God or give thanks to him. And then all of a sudden you see the slippery slope in 22 through 24. Claiming to be wise, they became fools in verse 22. And exchanged the glory of God for, uh, or excuse me, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals of creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So first and foremost, you see this. Now all of a sudden we're seeing some, some, sinful actions take place. So distraction is someone that can, can, can be snapped back. They're still in the midst of Christian community, but the person that's deceived, all of a sudden you see hypocrisy take place. The first thing, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the battle cry of the millennial generation, and I get to stand in this generation. Claiming to be wise, we're fools. Because we have the worldwide internet, that we can find any answer we want, all of a sudden, that we think we know that the person that all of a sudden goes from distraction to now they're actually being deceived, that they think there's something they're not. 
then moving on, all of a sudden you see this concept of exchanging the glory of God. And this is where it starts to get really, really dangerous. That uh, We see this concept that it says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. No, so, so the idea of exchange is the same concept as, uh, uh, of the suppressing. To exchange something means you have it in the first place. Make sense? Like if it, I take, I have to, to exchange, it's making a trade. So they're exchanging their innate ability to actually glorify God as supreme, which we all have the ability to do as we talked about. That they're exchanging the glory of God for things of the world. That now notice, side note here, they're, they're not completely just saying God is not real. What they're doing, it, it's... They're just exchanging the gloriousness of God. They're still saying he exists. They're simply just saying, well, he's kind of just equal to us. God's good, but he's not, he's not practical. It's, it's a cool concept. Yeah, I'll go to heaven, but like, it's, it, I, I'm, he's not like the most. This is where it gets really, really dangerous, my friends. That do you esteem God as the most glorious thing in your life? And if not, you are missing the mark. And that's very theoretical. That's not three points for you, type A people, but that's, that's how slippery the slope can be. And then all of a sudden you see uh, in verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them up. And we see here that God now starts to engage the deceived. God's kind of letting the distracted person work it out because I think the distracted individual can be called back. Can, can, can start figuring out. But now all of a sudden, someone that's deceived thinks they're wise. The deceived person is going, oh, no, no, I'm good. Me, me and God are good, but actually I'm addicted to pornography. And I could never say anything because all my friends would leave me, my girlfriend would leave me. Or no, 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 I'm good. I, I, I should be a leader uh, at, at my church, but, but, uh, but I'm absurdly arrogant. Or, or no, I, I, I don't, I don't I, I'm not bulimic, I'm not anorexic, but I just micromanage because I'm really, really fit. But, but I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Paint the facade, paint the facade. I, I am wise, I am. I, I have to be wise or I'll be, are you being deceived? Because you see what happens with the, the deceived person that God gives them over to the desires of their hearts and the lusts of their hearts hearts and impurities and this is where there's consequences that there are deep consequences for allowing a small distraction to lead and seep into a lifestyle of being deceived so you want a point uh, of action here's the point of action are you honest with yourself because for some reason we can't be honest at Baylor God forbid my roommates know that I'm a sinner what are we afraid of? Because what should scare us to death is this concept of what moves on in verse 25. And, as, and, and we'll end right here. And we see just the bottom of sin here. It's not the action. It's not even the how they got there. It, it, it's the heart of the issue. Verse 25, because God gave them this concept of God gave them over. Here's why he gave them over. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creator or the creature rather than the creator. So now we see our second exchange here. One, first we exchange the glory of God, but now this person is exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Now we're at full blown rebellion and denial of God. Now God is not just most glorious, God is not real. 
And here's what happens. Now, a lot of you, most of you, maybe all of you are sitting here, well, I'll never just deny God. Yeah, you won't hear. You want a bailer three, four, five, six years down the road, seven years down the road when you're married. And I say this from experience, when you're married and, and you, have a, you have a beautiful daughter and you're excited to have your second child and your wife gets pregnant again and, 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 you, and your wife miscarries. And when my wife told me that we lost our, our child, my first thought as a, as a leader in ministry was, is God really real? This is, there, there's, how can this happen to me? I've done my due diligence. Oh, how quickly even the, even the ministry leaders can, can flip on God and put God on trial. That we see this concept of not just being deceived, deceived, but they're exchanging the truth that God is worth our praise and worth all the glory he gets. And we exchange it for a lie. And, we, and not just a lie, it moves on and it talks about we worship creatures rather than the creator. So the question is, what do you worship? And now the Greek word for worship here just simply means to, to revere, to fear this awe, this all-consuming awe, not just in a moment, but all of life. What do you spend most of your time, effort, money, thought process on? That's what you worship. That's your God. And it says that ones that exchange the truth of God for a lie worship the creature. So some of you might fear your status or your success or your accolades on earth more than you fear or revere or, or worship the one who actually controls your successes and accolades on earth, and not only earth, more importantly, forever. So some of you might have already given over your beliefs, and here's the reality. If Satan gets your beliefs, he gets your life. You want one thing to write down. If, write that down. If Satan gets your well, outside of any of the scripture... If Satan gets your belief, he gets your life. Nowhere in scripture does it say that that you are righteous based on what you do. You are righteous based on what you believe. So therefore, you are unrighteous, not based on what you do. You are unrighteous based on what you believe because that will directly and always affect what you do. So my question tonight is what's the lie? I don't know where some of you land. Uh, maybe you're being distracted by, by, by your sin or other things. Maybe you're being deceived or maybe you're just a full-blown going, Garrett, I'm out. I'm out. Because uh, we, we, we go to Baylor here. We've all heard the, at least a concept of Jesus. And listen, I get it. You're in college. Like if you live in America, faith, it, faith is not pressing a lot of the times. And, and these things don't feel real. And then faith doesn't feel valuable. So, but, but I, I just beg you to take this caution seriously because faith is not about feeling. A lot of the times we, uh, as millennials, we, we want to feel it. And if we don't feel it, we're out. We're out. If I don't feel connected to this major, I'm out. I can't work hard. If I don't feel like I like this girl today, I'm out. I'm not, God, God forbid that we work towards it. So instead of, instead of feeling your ways into your beliefs, God asks in this scripture that, that you actually believe your way into your feelings. Don't be distracted. And I think, I think a lot of us here, if we're, if we're honest, we would never say it at Baylor University that, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, there's kind of some different categories of people here. And, he- and here's the lies that I think we believe. Uh, and-, and-, and then I want to just counterbalance it with truth and then we'll be done. Um, 
I think a lot of us are believing this lie. Two things. One of us, some, you stand here and you go, Gary, you, have, you don't know me. And you have no idea what has either been done to me or what I have done. And honestly, no one here knows. And, I, and I'm either too far gone or, or my sin is too deep or I can't stop. I don't even want to stop. I don't even know where to begin. It is so, Garrett, you don't even, I can't even begin to tell you what is going on in my mind right now, late at night. It's just so sinful. I, I, I deserve hell. I, I, it's, I can't. And you, my friend, that's a, that's a belief problem. You, my friend, have been completely deceived by the fact that you think that you are what you do or what you are, what's been done to you because of these bracelets that were good in concept, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's an okay uh, half-truth. What I'd rather have it say is, what did Jesus do? You are not what you do. You are what Christ has already done on your behalf. You are only righteous. You will only stand at the judgment seat of Christ and him look at you and say, join paradise if Christ is next to you and the Holy Spirit is in you, the only way that happens is if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart in Jesus as Lord. It does not matter what you do. You are not what you do or what you have done. That is a lie. That is exchanging the truth about God, that he is rich in mercy, that he wants all to come to repentance, that all are welcome to his table. And you said it's only for this small group of people that do really, really good. And you, my friend, you are missing the point. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and and Jesus, I, Jesus will give you rest. I think that's a small camp of us, but I think a a larger camp of us are the the ones that are going, Garrett, I kind of get this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not distracted. I'm not, and and, and my, you're the ones that I worry about because it's, it's all good right now. And you might even go, man, I've, I've, I've heard this before. I don't, like, I've, I've graduated from the gospel. Give me my three takeaways. And, and here's my fear, is that, that, um, that we are so quick to graduate from the, the only thing that heaven will be about. That if you want heaven, you only want the cross. Because here's the reality. That if the answer to the question of am I a Christian is yes, then you are only still righteous because Jesus Christ is sustaining you. The the righteousness of Christ that it talks about all over the New Testament is not just given one time and then you're like kind of work it out from there. It's every single day a heavy portion of the blood of Christ that spills over you that's not about what you are going to do to deserve it. What happened on Calvary a long time ago is so practical today. My greatest fear is that a lot of you have been so distracted by the power of the gospel that it holds no power of you today. And, and, and the reality is I, I've even been talking about it for 30 minutes and, and you might have even tuned it out, this concept, and you are, that Christ is no more relevant to you today than it is an atheist. So what's different about you and the atheist? The reality is the gospel is all there is. So how do we battle it? You can just pop up that scripture. It's Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. And, I, and, and I'll stop there, but if you, it, that's the scripture that you battle life with. That's your, that can be your battle cry of going, Garrett, what do I do? What do I do? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that you're going to battle it in the context of community, are you actually known? Are you actually known? 
And not known by like you get to, you gather in your accountability group once a week and you're like, yeah, here's the two things I did. But I'm not going to tell you the other things I did, just the things to make it show that I'm, kind, that I'm, I'm a sinner, but not like you, you can have my like closet, but you can't have my attic of, of junk. That are you actually known? And next, they'll be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance. That are we actually going to be a people that are committed? That we don't flee the second it gets hard? It is easy to be a Christian at Baylor University. It is easy to believe here. What you are doing is prepping and preparing for life after. Are you going to run the race well? You can only run the race well if you understand how. And last but not least, and this is how. With endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for joy was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. There is only one way. So why are we waiting? I, I truly believe, and during his worship was happening, I was praying, and as the band comes up, uh, and, and I pray, I, I truly believe that there are people here that are just so neck deep in the lie. And you went home over Christmas break, and, and you engaged in it again, and you haven't even told anybody yet, and Satan has a foothold on your life that he holds no ground in. He holds no power over you. But for some reason, when Jesus walked out of the grave and you said yes to him, he carried you and put you on solid ground and said, walk. And what you do is you keep walking back into the grave, picking up your dead corpse that stayed there, and you just carry it around. Romans 6 says this, that that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. This is the best news ever. Everyone says, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. No, 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 no. You are not free. (laughs) You are not free. Romans 6 says that you are still a slave. That if you say yes to Jesus forever and ever and ever, you are a slave to righteousness. You are a slave to Jesus' righteousness. You will never be detached from that man. That's why we stand and sing. So is he enough? Is he enough? Or are you distracted by the world? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, oh, I just, I know, I, I, I've, I know that it is so easy to fall prey to the lies of this world. And God, I, I, I know this place and I love this place and I love this city and I love this university because I know that it is so easy to not fix our gaze upon the only thing that gives life and that we attach ourselves to the filth of the world. And God, today is the day we stop. So Holy Spirit, it is your doing that it is clear 
in Ephesians 1.13 that it says that having believed in the good news of the gospel, the word of truth that you've, that you've given us, that you've sealed in us the Holy Spirit, the guarantor of our inheritance that will never go away. So if we are in Christ We are always in Christ. So those sins, those lies, those things that we believe hold no power on us. So God, I pray that maybe for the first time that we actually believe that the gospel has power. And God, if not, I pray that we would would actually tell someone that I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because if we cannot be real amongst the body of Christ, we're hopeless. Holy Spirit, I love that I get to thank you because I know you've moved because we stood on the authority of the word of God tonight. God, I do not deserve you. None of us deserve you. We deserve wrath and judgment and condemnation. And all of us, it's easy for us to wrap up in our things that we know we've done and we know what we deserve. But God, but God, two of the greatest words in scripture, you demonstrated your own love for us that while we were sinners, not righteous, not perfect, but while we were sinners, you died. God, we love you. And if we do not love you, I pray that you would call us to your name. Amen.